Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 17. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host for this program. Thank you so much for joining me as I continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and modalities of helping us find balance in our individual journeys. We're always excited to meet those of you who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet and those of you who will inspire others to make life changes. Today, I have a very special individual with me. I've invited this inspiring young man, born with a debilitating spina bifida, who has continued to strive ahead in his life, knowing that at any moment something may arise that would cause him to make drastic changes again and again. Yet, he continues to prevail through life. Uh, It really gives me a, a great honor to welcome to our show, Quinn McLaughlin. Hello, Quinn. Thank you Hello. for joining us. Thank you. How are you today? All right. Good, good. Um, so, Quinn, um, here you are on our show, and I, I know that you've done several other interviews or uh, talks with students and things like that before. Yes. And uh, how wonderful that you are going out there to inspire others. And, and first of all, we thank you for that. And we thank you for joining us and, and hoping to inspire our communities. And, and also um, giving those of us who are not familiar with spina bifida or those of us who are dealing with spina bifida a little bit of um, a background of what you went through as well as um, you know, some knowledge and awareness that uh, will help us work with people around our loved ones and people around our lives that might be dealing with it. So, Quinn, starting off, can you tell us a little bit about spina bifida? Uh, spina bifida is a, um, a birth defect. It can be genetic or uh, can just arise. It is a. Um, it is caused by a vitamin D deficiency. Um, in well, the mother. Uh, if it's non-genetic, but it's uh, genetically, it's carried through the father's bloodline, and uh, there are a few different forms of it. Um, my the form I have, myelomeningocele, is called is um, basically I have a hole in the wall of one of my vertebrae, so the spine spinal cord as it was developing, actually in, instead of growing down through the spinal column somewhat uh, grew out the the hole in the side of of the vertebrae Hmm. and um, when that happened it was wrong it rubbed raw nerve against the bone therefore uh, creating the nerve damage um, to the spinal cord which ultimately affected everything from my waist down There are uh, there is another popular form which is 
kind of the reverse. It's actually a burr on the inside of one of the vertebrae that actually rubs against the raw nerve of the spinal cord, therefore mm -hmm. uh, creating damage that way. But uh, that is less, a lot less severe. And uh, there's a whole list of people um, that actually have that or have been suspected of having that. Um, they just didn't know to look for it nice. because it's so minor. So um, would you say that uh, you have actually um, uh, been in a lot of pain most of your life? Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's not really a sharp pain, but it is definitely a null, uh, dull, um, constant pain. It's like, uh, some people might equate, um, arthritis. You know, I, I basically had that, whole, that pain through most of my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, Quinn, thank you so much for sharing that portion with us. Now, um, what about, uh, do you remember much about your youth um, in the means of uh, growing up? How far back do you remember as a child? Oh, I remember probably uh, just prior to elementary school just prior to elementary school yes mm -hmm. and uh um through that childhood were did you have to be in and out with doctors or oh yeah therapists yeah mm -hmm. i had uh there they actually brought a uh, physical therapist into um my school once a week all the way through high school. And uh, in addition to that, um, especially once I got, um, moved to Virginia, I had access to um, actually um, a Georgetown University doctors mm -hmm. that I saw two, two, three times a year. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw... Everything from, you know, um, an orthopedic surgeon to a orthotist to a, a physical therapist to a urologist, neurologist, <laughs> neurosurgeon, you know, and that was one thing, you know, two to three times a year, mm. I would go into a clinic and I would, in the span of two hours, I would see five doctors, my physical therapist, and get cast for new leg braces. Oh, I see. So you were in leg braces. Yes. I see. Up in, up until elementary school? Um, no, I was actually uh, in leg braces all the way through high school. Mm -hmm. And did you ever have to have surgery? Um. Only the corrective surgery, 
for my spina bifida when I was eight hours old. Um, and then I had to have um, two hydrocephalic um, VP shunts because of hydrocephalus. I had my first one, uh, one put in when I was eight weeks old. And then a second one put in when I was eight months old because the first one malfunctioned. Mm. And, and, and that, that's been it as far as those surgeries. Um, can you uh, tell us a little, you, you're saying that there are shunts that were put in? Yes. And um, so, and those are put in where in your back? No, in, in my head. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, so, so those were put in in your head. So, it, uh, right, to drain the uh, uh, um, CSF fluid. Hmm. Because when um, naturally my body, when I was younger, registered that my back was broken. Well, when when the body does that, it sends um, extra CSF fluid to that that mm -hmm. area to help you heal. Mm. Well, it really wasn't, you know, it, it mm. was already um, fixed. Um, but, you know, so what happened was uh, all that extra CSF fluid would gather in my head. Oh, wow. So they had to drain it out. I see. And um, that's what the shunt is for. Is they place it between the lobes, mm. and it runs down uh, below the diaphragm into my abdomen. Wow. And it, it just it drains it, drained down into my abdomen and then got absorbed by the body. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, when you, of course, you don't remember any of that. And, and of course, <laughs> eight weeks old, eight months old, I can't imagine what your parents must have gone through um, having their little loved one go through this excessive amount of, you know, uh, medication and uh, surgery um, so from that point you were in leg braces right and uh, all the way through high school yes and yep. yet um, uh, through our conversation before I would love for you to share with everyone everything you did in school and everything uh, you were okay. able to do in school, even with leg braces. I didn't realize you had to wear leg braces through yeah. all that. Yeah, I had, uh, well, I started playing soccer when I was five. Uh, that lasted till I was about 13. I started competitively swimming without the leg braces at nine to 18. Mm. Um, when I gave up soccer, I started uh, mountain biking from 15 to present. Um, and, you know, I, I was uh, in the band. I was also a, uh, a Boy Scout from the age of 11 to 18. Mm -hmm. I was a um, 
student sports trainer in the school's gym uh, in high school. I also got my uh, uh, basic EMT training at the age of 17, and that lasted till I was uh, 21. And uh, um, that was about it. And now I'm just (laughs) biking. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious. So when you began to do your biking and all those, uh, uh, sports like soccer, I'm assuming you had to remove the braces and then bike or run around and then put them back on at the end of the day. No, no. no? I just kept the braces on the, uh, um, I was fortunate when I, uh, uh, moved to Virginia and had access to uh, all those uh, university doctors. The orthodists there actually made braces with ankle hinges. Oh, wonderful. So, you know, I could do whatever I wanted to do because of those braces. Um, I just had to by you know a little bit bigger shoe to f- fit the braces mm-hmm. into the shoe and uh i just went on you know did what i could do fantastic and and you and then so you stopped needing the braces what uh right after high school well yeah i probably technically still needed them and mm-hmm. probably still needed them but um, I've had a really hard time of finding, um, since I moved away from, um, that, that orthodist, mm-hmm. um, I've had a really hard time of finding, um, an orthodist that can make a comparable brace. Mm-hmm. And they always broke on me. I see. <laughs> so I eventually just said, "Okay, I, you know, I I'm out of puberty, and I'm, you know, part of um, well, one type of that I had actually helped me uh, help me stand up and stretch, stretch mm-hmm. all the tendons and ligaments in my." Uh, in my leg, so they, so I could stand up straight. Um, and uh, you know, I figured once I once puberty was over, um, my legs weren't gonna really get any better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the braces kind of became a mute point at that, um, at that point in time. So I went ahead and just gave up wearing the braces. Uh, also, because I was so active, I kept kept my muscle strength up and was able to cope that way. Mm, that's fantastic. Um, now, <laughs> I tell you, I, I met, I have to tell our audience, I met... Uh, or learned of Quinn through his father, whom I met just a little while ago, 
And uh, your father is so very proud of you and how you've dealt with this all your life. Um, now, do you remember times when, um, you know, going through school, it's always known that children can be very cruel because, you know, they're not worldly. They haven't learned certain etiquettes. They just say what they say or do what they do. Right. Um, did you feel like uh, uh, growing up that that you were extremely different from everyone else? Did they uh, make you feel that way until you were able to prove yourself? Yes. Um, I, especially because I grew up in a very small town mm. in the backwoods of Virginia. <laughs> um, mm. You know, the town I actually lived in had a population of 2,000. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody and, knew um, each other, right? And their dogs and their cats. And <laughs> and so I, um, it was a, a very conservative place. And I, every day I had to um, push myself further and further, you know, push myself just to, um, and I did get that resistance. People didn't believe I could do what I said I could do until I did. Mm. Um, that, you know, thankfully I, I had a mom that told me constantly that I could do anything that anybody else could do. Mm. Very well, that, that, took me a long, you know, and that really gave me a, a good outlook in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that kind of did have a backlash. It did. What, yes. what was the backlash? Um, well, because, I, you know, I believed in myself that I could do anything anybody else could do. Mm -hmm. I, I pushed, I had to, and did push myself you know, the extra, you know, 110, 120% to prove that I could do it above, you know, whatever else, whatever I had to do. And that actually eventually, you know, yeah. wore me down physically and mentally, you know, like my knees right now. And you know, they've been bad for years. I probably should have had knee replacements by now <laughs> My God. and if I hadn't pushed myself you know that extra 10 or 20 percent my knees would have been in a lot better shape mm -hmm. where my back would it would be in better shape mm -hmm. so you know it's overall that is you know it was good but I do have to deal with these certain side effects right Right. Well, I, I, I believe that um, uh, because of yourself, you know, you pushing yourself so far, I, I think there's, again, the pros and cons with it. it it's really given you such confidence and, and such a drive. And, you know, who would who is here to say that the knees wouldn't have worn down just as fast or the back wouldn't have, you know, I mean, it's sort of we don't know what we don't know because the human body is so brilliant. And, and you know, I, I believe that you have overcome so much and very, very, with a very strong guidance of your mother, you know, telling you and support. I mean, 
how can we growing up if we don't have the support and the love of the people around us we wouldn't be who we are today um, because they set the standard and they set the precedent for us to keep moving forward so so how wonderful it is for for you to have uh, a mother that thought like that and and uh, continued to help you strive and strive with you now Quinn, I heard recently that you had to go on dialysis, which is yeah. a huge shift in an individual's life. You did not have that situation in your younger years. I mean, you're still very young right now. May I ask how old you are? 31. Okay, so you're 31 now. And when did this come up, this situation with dialysis? I mean, um, what, is it because of the spina bifida? Um, indirectly, it was, um, in the, well, technically it started back in the fall of 09, mm -hmm. um, because of the spina bifida, um, n the n nerves in my bladder did not form correctly, mm -hmm. and because of that, my bladder uh grew to about a thousand cc's or a liter when it should be only about 500 cc's mm. and eventually that that wore out the muscles around the bladder and that ended up pushing all the urine back up into my kidneys mm -hmm. And they discovered this back in uh, in the fall of '09, and because of the um, what the urine was doing to the kidneys, that um, the damage also there was damage to um, the adrenal glands that um, control my blood pressure. Oh my gosh! Chain reaction. Yeah. So they gave me a blood pressure medication, but nobody knew I was allergic to the <laughs> blood pressure medication. And by April of 2010, I was in the hospital with my because my kidneys had shut down partially because of the spine bifida and partially because of anaphylaxis. Oh my gosh. And I spent from April third to to uh, June sixteenth in the hospital, mm. Mm. and uh, luckily got out on the you know June sixteenth. But I had to have dialysis. Uh, it started out with hemodialysis every other day. Um, from April uh, of 010, and I had to, once I got out of the hospital, I had to go into a hemodialysis clinic until um, August, October of 2010, when I switched to what they call peritoneal dialysis. Mm. This is where they uh, pump new different levels of dextrose into your peritoneum around your, in, in your abdomen and they let it sit for a couple hours exchanging 
the uh, sugar and the dextrose for all the toxins in your in your bloodstream. Wow. And then they, you know, two, two and a half hours go by and it empties that that um that wastewater mm-hmm. and then it pumps um another round of dextrose into your peritoneum and it will um it, it did that uh four times a night every night. Wow. Four times a night every night? Yeah. That is uh uh, I, I mean, I hope you could do that while you are watching television or doing oh, yeah. something else. Yeah. It, uh, that was a home, you know, home remedy that uh, home therapy that I had to set up every night, and that was the good thing was, you know, once I was hooked up to the machine through through the port. You know, I had, um, it was a 25 foot long, um, tube that I could just wander around my apartment and do what I needed to do, you know, in the meantime, whether it was cleaning the apartment or sleep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, so you could do it, that could just continuously run while you were sleeping as well. Right. Yeah, I, I would plug in it about... 10 o'clock at night and I would um uh unplug it mm-hmm. like six or eight in the morning. Oh wow. So then that basically circumvented you having to go to the hospital or a clinic to have that right. done. And, then, and you know, I didn't have to have when you have hemodialysis where they clean your blood mm-hmm. they they basically what they do is they give you a fistula which is they connect a vein and an artery directly mm-hmm. and once the once that heals um they take two big like 15 gauge needles and stick it stick both of them in the fistula Mm-hmm. And one um, sucks the blood out through one, and one puts the blood back in you. Mm-hmm. And those are and those stay connected, right? Um, yeah, through during the therapy, it's like three and a half hours every other day. Oh, and uh, you know, once the therapy is done, you unplug and go home until two days later mm. when you show back you at show. the clinic. And now you had to go through almost like two years of that, correct? Yeah. I, well, 13 months. I had, uh, it was April 2010 to May 2011. Mm. And, and, you know, at that point, the doctors uh, said, you know, my blood test, which I had to have done every month, came back good enough to um, not need dialysis anymore, which is it's a really good thing. But um, not you know, one thing that you have to realize is that 
a kidney, your kidneys only have to be working at 25% to be off dialysis. Um, so when you, oh my gosh. So you have now basically, you're off of dialysis now. Um, now do you, is there something you did? Because you don't, we don't, once people go on dialysis, we very seldom hear of them coming off of dialysis. And, and I would assume that there are many different forms of dialysis, like, you know, what you were doing yeah. at home for yourself. Um, uh, was in your case, did they know that at some point in time that you would be able to remove yourself from it? Or was it something that you actually made it, uh, put it in your intention that you were going to make a change and that you were going to get off of this by changing your diet or your health and what you did, you know, daily, you know, what, what in your case, which one? Which um, one was it, it was a combination of, of uh, you know, I knew I, um, the doctors did say I was, you know, I had end stage renal disease, which means, um, it, they, the kidneys, you know, I was even put on a transplant list. Mm. And the the doctors said, you know, everything's permanent that I was going to be on dialysis till I got the new kidney. Mm. And uh, but I I knew deep down that you know part of it was yes, part of it was from the spina bifida, which I couldn't change. But I I knew that part of it was the um anaphylaxis which you know that is to totally recoverable from mm, 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 mm. so i knew that there was a good chance that i um i could get off dialysis also um when they came at me with the diet that you know i had to totally re redo my whole uh, anything I ate, uh, which, you know, there, there, uh, on the dialysis diet is, it, there's a bunch of contradictions, you know, um, and it took me quite a while, probably two, two and a half months to fully understand um, the, you know, the dialysis diet that I had to go on. Mm. And then once I got the hang of it, I just said, okay, this is all I'm going to eat. This is all, you know, I can eat if I'm going to get off dialysis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, the physical activity played uh, a big part in, in um uh recovery also that that just um they've they've basically proven that if you're physically active um before you can shut down um just if you continue to do that physical activity uh you have a much much greater chance of recovery and or at least coping with mm -hmm. um all the the whole stress and and the whole 
deal that comes with kidney disease. Right. Um, so, Quinn, uh, you know, uh, well, you may not be familiar, but we here at Yoga Hub, like we do the Virtual World Yoga and Meditation Conference, which is an annual event, and, and we promote everything to do with health and wellness. I mean, have you uh, tried uh, yoga or meditation and different forms of, you know, what we call sort of holistic health? Um. Truthfully, I've wanted to try yoga, but I haven't yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I have uh, tried try over and over again um, some basic forms of meditation that I learned, learned from my dad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one gentleman out there that might inspire, that inspires so many of us, his name is Matthew Sanford. And he is actually um, a paraplegic since he oh. was 13 years old. He was in a car accident, a very tragic car accident, where he lost his uh, father and sister. And the car, when it flipped over the edge of the cliff, actually bounced off of his stomach area. And of course, broke his back, I, I do believe, in several places. Um, and he actually has a yoga studio um, a therapy. He practices yoga therapy to help others, whether they be um, physically handicapped or not, basically. So, so I would encourage you, I'll, you know, definitely send you information about him and what he does, but is very fascinating to me because you're talking about your spine and about um, the, the uh, uh, leg braces that were made for you that helped you lengthen, you know, your tendons and your muscles. Well, you know, that is all the basis of yoga is about lengthening and strengthening at the same time. And so I, I watched Matthew do some poses when we were at a conference together when he was attending a class. Mm -hmm. And um, I watched the way even, <laughs> I mean, I could not really raise my legs like that. <laughs> it was re really inspiring, you know, um, so he also had this very, very focused um, passion and intent that he was going to overcome and live a average life. I don't like to use the word normal, as you notice. So, you know, it's like that's a setting on a hairdryer. It's not <laughs> what is normal, right? Um, so uh, he, you remind me very much of his story of how, you know, he has sort of overcome things. And, and that's why... It's, being now right now you are sort of connected with uh, yoga hub um you know YHTV, and you know we definitely invite you to to look into those different modalities especially yeah. now to you know help strengthen your core and uh your tendons and your muscles and and things like that um and diet you know as you say you know shifting that diet and Keeping up that exercise has actually made you so strong. You've been able to remove yourself from dialysis. And, you know, that's so inspiring to hear, I'm sure, for many, many people, not just those who are dealing with spina bifida. Um, I uh, invite our audience, if you have any questions uh, for Quinn or comments for Quinn, please, um, you know, right at below the window that we're live streaming on, there is a comment box. And uh, even during the replay, you are able to make your comments there and we will get him or ourselves to reply to your comments as, you know, as the week goes on as well. 
Um, there is a question that came in for you, Quinn, and it is, how did you get into mountain climbing? Mountain climbing? <laughs> okay, uh, through the Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. um, I worked at a Boy Scout camp since I was, um, you know, from the age of 15 to the age of 21. And um, I had basically done everything at the camp already from um, teaching how to cook over an open fire to teaching people how to um, shoot a bow and arrow to um, swimming. I was, you know, I forgot uh, to mention I was a lifeguard. Um, <laughs> a lifeguard? The, yeah. Along with the competitive swimming, and I, um, I got my uh, lifeguard certification through the Boy Scouts. Um, you know, I, I worked in their kitchen. I I, I taught um, arts and crafts. I taught you know sports, um, and it, it event. You know, I I um, expressed interest. Uh, in there, I kind of got into rock climbing at the same time I got into mountain biking because um, the camp had a high adventure program, which uh, <laughs> rock climbing and mountain biking were just two parts of that whole high adventure program, mm -hmm. um, all, along with um, along with. Uh, a couple other parts like like um, black powder sh shooting and um, hi hiking, um, you know, some really uh, difficult trails and just you know going out into the middle of the woods and and camping and wilderness survival. So that's how I got into you know. Most of my activities um, was through the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts, that's that's magnificent. Um, what is black powder? Um, uh, rifles and you know primitive rifles and shotguns. Mm -hmm. You know the the, the like the, the Civil War guns that yes. had, had to be. Loaded from the the the, front. the muzzle, the yeah. front of the gun. Wow, this must have been in Virginia. Yes. Okay, I was thinking, wow, I I didn't realize that they still taught that. How yeah. wonderful for you to experience that! I would like to experience that. <laughs> um, another uh, question uh, that came in was about your bicycle design. Yeah. You are into bicycle designing, and uh, um, do you design for people, for others? Well, that's um, that's kind of a design's not the the right word. It's um, I I custom customize my bikes by uh, custom specking, uh, you know, choosing the exact parts. I want on my bikes. Mm -hmm, I see. Sometimes that includes um, special 
uh, adaptive. Um, the, the most specialized thing I have because I have no arch in my left foot. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the type of pedals that the professionals use called clipless. Mm. And um, because of those pedals, I need to have um, an extended axle on my pedal. Mm-hmm. And so, um, luckily, there are a couple of companies out there that already make um, put the axle extensions. So I just went ahead and um, bought bought those extensions to put onto my pedals. Um, and that pretty much solved that. Um, also because my left foot, um, is not straight. It it is turned out at about a 75 degree angle. Mm. So when I put my foot on and clip into the pedal, uh, without those extensions, my heel would clip, would, would hit the crank off. Right. So I have have to have the other than that it really depends on the bike how i um uh what parts i put on it and um a lot of it's too technical to to go into right now but um you know i have um like on my mountain bike uh, i have actually have a two-speed mountain bike um this is actually a fixed gear um if anybody out there knows what a, a fixed gear is it's a a track bike or a velodrome bike oh, well i i found that you know that actually helped me out uh having that that type of drivetrain even though it only has two gears mm. is more helpful to me than having a bike with you know 18 or 25 years just because of the momentum that certain drivetrain uh, provides that's very but interesting as, as far as uh, custom specking um custom designing like i said you know i i um it's more of a custom um I put the custom parts on rather than actually make uh, design custom frames. Right, right. So, so basically, what you're doing is you are actually looking for the components that would be right to customize it for yourself, basically, right. and then um, uh, learning about that and then putting it all into order. Now, what about doing that for someone else? What about doing that for other people that? have no idea i mean you know it takes time to be researching all these parts and you know all the different as you say extensions and things like that most of the common people wouldn't know that they wouldn't know how to do that yeah um you should be a consultant for for that area since you've done all the research yeah. for yourself anyways right and you know what's out there right, right? um if anybody out there wants to uh, wants me and wants to consult me, you know, talk to me about a bike. 
I'm more than willing. Wonderful, wonderful. Sure. I think that would be great, Quinn, because it sounds like you're very passionate about biking. I think you should share with our audience when you talk about biking ha, uh, that you don't have a car. Isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah okay. that's correct. And how uh, many miles do you bike a day? Um, well, about 20. Okay, 20 miles a day. And that's yeah. what keeps you strong. Right. Do you still swim? Uh, no. That would be uh, something yeah, to get. Part of it is Reno isn't really known uh, for their pools. Um, partially because it's, you know, right on the edge of the desert and <laughs> they just, you know, we're so close to either Lake Tahoe or comparatively, uh, the Bay Area. Mm, yes. People just don't really swim that much around <laughs> here. We have in a, in the Reno Metro. We have about 400,000 people. Oh. We literally and there's have... there's no community centers with swimming pools? We have one. <laughs> and then we have um, two or three uh, gated communities mm -hmm. with pools. Mm -hmm. But it, it's literally, um, you know, we might have... To it, one might be at the other end of the city that I don't know about. Um, but yeah, swimming is just not a popular thing around here. Um, so Quinn, a question has uh, come up, and it, and this is a really important question because I, I agree. I, I mean, I would like to know myself how you do this, and. And um, this person's asking, what keeps your motivation when you just don't want to get out the door? For about a, a two-year period, I was, uh, you know, EMT, uh, rock climber, mountain biker, and I was fit enough to do all that. Hmm. Well, you know, I knew I could do that one time. I know I can do it again. Um, that's really all there. Is, you know, that's the way I look at it. Like, uh, right now, on my um, on my street fixie, I um have been really concentrating on building up my muscles this summer, using just one you know that bike which has one gear well yesterday i went out on my my typical ride and came back but i decided to come back the difficult way <laughs> after a month of really concentrating on on pushing myself to to get stronger I, you know, said to come up the difficult way back home, and I came up, you know, it's actually two streets, but I, I came up those two streets with relative ease, mm. wow. and, you know, looking back at that, I'm like, okay, 
you know, this past month where I pushed myself, that what has been that's been worth it, and it's worked. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, why not continue with it? Mm-hmm. Because I know, yes, yes, I may be, um, you know, at a certain uh, level, lower level of fitness now, but I've found something that works for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to continue with it mm-hmm. because I know I can get back to where I was, you know, being that, that really active person. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I no doubt um, with uh, your condition and the condition that uh, you are dealing with, um, it's like for us, if we stop exercising for a week or two, our body sort of goes, you know, back to a certain time, it slowly sort of reverts back and we get lazier and lazier. But with someone like you and your conditions, which um, I've spoken to a lot of people who have different conditions, of course, and health conditions, they really, if they, the day or two days that they don't do an exercise or something for themselves, the slip going backwards is much faster and greater. And it's harder to pick up, you know, so you no doubt in your 31 years have experienced that slip and you don't want it to slip any further from a certain point now. Right. Right. (laughs) The struggle is too hard, right? Yeah, it is. Um, that was one thing that, you know, I've, that, you know, especially when I was on dialysis, and especially on, on the hemodialysis at the beginning, um, the, when, when um, you go in to have um, the, you know, therapy done, uh, unfortunately, when the machine claims your blood, it cleans everything out of your blood, yeah. the, good, the good and the bad stuff. Oh. So literally coming out of that, I had to, you know, after the therapy was done, I had to down a full bottle of Gatorade mm. just to be able to ride from my house. For, you know, it was about four miles. From the clinic back to my house. <laughs> you rode your bike to the clinic for dialysis, and then yeah. you, after dialysis, you rode your bike home. Yeah. Now, did the therapist and the doctors know that you had to down this bottle of Gatorade? Could they not have given you something yeah. better? <laughs> no. Well, that you know that was the. Uh, uh, well, as far as you know supplying the Gatorade that was up to me because yes. I didn't have to ride my bike. Therefore, you know, I didn't have to um you know, but because I rode rode my bike, you know, I needed that, that bottle of Gatorade to ride my bike. Interesting. So in in that way and like I said, um that that's that was another good thing about the peritoneal dialysis mm. was um that only took the, the toxins mm. that mm. left the good stuff and only took the toxins out. I see. So I was more able to um get 
Um, I was had more energy and mm-hmm. uh, you know all the stuff I needed to mm-hmm. to um, really just set up, set up the the baseline for where I I had to come from to get where I am now physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Wow, uh, Quinn. Well, we're we're coming to the top of our hour now, Quinn. Wow, all right. Uh, isn't it amazing how fast it goes by? Um, so, Quinn, is there uh, something that you would like to leave with our audience, especially those who may be dealing with spina bifida now, some of the kids out there, or some of the parents of those children who, you know, I myself being a parent, it would be, you know, it's quite a journey to watch your child go through this. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something that, that you could leave with them um, uh, to help keep that motivation going? Away from uh-huh. watching this program, of course, and maybe tagging yeah. in with you in a couple more years. <laughs> um uh really just you know as far as the parents encourage your your kids to do whatever they can you know as far as you know physically you know activity co-curricular extra curricular and um keep on encouraging them to do that and um, just let them find you know, what they want to do and uh, encourage them all you can and help them um, be as successful as they can in whatever they choose to do in life. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Quinn, for taking this time to inspire our communities and the communities globally. And I look forward to bringing you back on the show again in the next little while and continuing this conversation. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And we will be in touch. And, And again, for any of you who have questions or comments for Quinn, please feel free to type them into the comment box below. Um, you are all with us here on YHTV, which is Yoga Hub, Y-O-G-A-H-U-B dot TV. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again, Quinn, for your time and your inspiration. And uh, we're really honored by your presence. Thank you. Namaste. Yeah.